I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. And I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Heretics of Dune. Those little critters that get in your dog and you try to get them off. No, not hairy ticks. Heretics. 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 Got it. Some people. I I don't even understand. I even titled the uh, stream (laughs) Hairy Ticks of Dune. Hairy Ticks. Oh, man. Man. Well, so just to kind of go over what some of the stuff that we saw in this, um, it's been 3,000 years since Leto's demise. Since we put out a podcast. Since we put out a podcast. <laughs> no, just to clarify, the pod, we will have the last podcast out probably in the next week or so. And I know that we said that last time, and we did get it out. We did get it out. But, yeah. uh, so we're just a little bit behind in editing, but yeah. we're going to get caught up with that. No print, no, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll get them out. So, we'll but 3,000 years. Sorry. 3,000 years. 3,000 years. Since yeah. the last episode of the Dune Saga podcast. And Jim is now uh, an expert at playing the loot. Yeah. He's after 3,000 years. Plenty of time. He better, he better be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's playing to the bones, pun intended. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, so we no we no revi- respect no respect for your elders. I, I'm I'll tell you what, I know. I want to see some proof. Of this elder, <laughs> these elder, <laughs> yeah, these elders. Um, yes. Well, what we've got is we've got basically the sisterhoods risen back to power, and they have a Gola of Duncan, and uh, they've been apparently doing it for a while, and they've trained him for a special, unknown purpose. And the story of the book follows the. Awakening of this Duncan and kind of, um, we also find a, a girl who can, can control the worms. Um, so there's stuff. I like her, by the way. Uh, she, she is so sassy. Yeah. Oh, I just man. love, I'd love the way she tells Shaitan where to go. I, I, I think it's funny that she's like, like 13 or eight or something. Yeah. You forget that she's so young. And hey, well, you see that in the way she deals with this worm, the way she talks to the worm is like no respect at all. Right. It's like us and Jim. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so Jim is like Shaitan, and like we are like the girl. I don't, I don't know if that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't know. We're comparing ourselves to a little thirteen-year-old girl, and Jim's like a worm. Like, uh, Shaitan, uh. I like that arrangement. That arrangement works. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, some other things we've got: the people returning from the scattering, which is after Leto's death. You know, humanity flew out. So you know, I thought when we had. I thought when we were going to get the scattering back that it was going to be kind of, do you remember that reference in the book where the one guy gets accepted into the training school to become a navigator oh, and yeah. in the end he dies, but he comes back escaping the darkness. Yeah. And I thought that we were going to actually get a hint at what this darkness was mm-hmm. because it's not the scattering. No. There's something larger at play. Because the, don't they mention they're running from it? Yes. Yeah. And we don't get any hints of it in this book. Now, you read all the books, right? Mm-hmm. Do we ever get any hints of that later on? It's more prevalent in the next book, but uh, you don't get... Uh, it's not really answered. It's not answered. It, it would have been... In, I mean, it is answered in the series, but not till Brian and Kevin J. Anderson's Okay. Books. So, all right. Very good. Yeah. Just yeah. curious. So basically, that's it. I mean, Dune Dune gets blown up at the end of this one. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just, that's the end of 
Dune as we know it, which is kind of weird. But, I mean, that's the basic premise. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have a nice Dune in 10 to sum it all up uh, yep. for this one. Yep. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to take us from here? Yeah. So, uh, so what, were your, what was your overall impressions? I, I, I talked to you briefly about this. David, we had gotten together for some other reason. You said that this was a bit difficult for you to get into. You want to tell us a little bit about that? What made this transition into this book so hard for you? Uh, well, just to stop rolling things, it takes place 1,500 years. I thought it was – I think that's actually more right. I think it was God Emperor was 3,000 years from yes from children, and this was right, 1,500. Yes. yes. Yes, it was. Um, so, yeah, getting into this book, I sat down to read it, and it was like – it was almost like there was a portion of the book missing. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but like you just are jumped right into this world. And obviously we have all these other books we've read. So I was able to pick up on it, but especially when we got to the Talaxu first couple chapters and they're throwing slang left and right about their religion and this and that. And it's really just kind of like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I, I need to read that chapter again to really get, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm hearing here. Uh, it, it's, it's funny because, I mean, we've, we've talked to, to Brian, we've talked about it before about how, you know, his father was in a very different place during this book and, uh, chapter house of Dune with his mother's failing health and, and all that stuff. And you can sense that the writing, although quintessentially Frank Herbert is very, the story is very different. It's, it's, it's almost like a different side of him. Um, and I don't know. It almost seems like a sexually frustrated side too, in because there's so much more sex in these in this book. Um, but yeah, that was that was my overall impression. Although although I enjoy it, and I think it was fun to kind of see these things and and, and experience like learning more about the, the Talaxu, which uh, this is this is the book. If you hadn't read the prequels, would have been the first really glimpse into what they're all about. Um. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that was my my first impressions and kind of overall for it. Hi, let's let's hear from you, Jim. Yeah, my I really I really liked the book a lot, uh, a lot more than I thought I would, and probably a lot more than the first time I read it twenty some years ago. Um, I thought there was a real good balance in this book between uh, action and philosophical things and looking back towards the past uh yeah i i i just really did like this a lot better than i thought i would i i agree you know that balances uh that's so true i didn't even think of that the balance is, is very well done i mean you've got you've got the action and you've got the the you know the what do they call that the build-up or the regular the there's a word for it, but <laughs> uh, you've got the action, you've got that stuff um, building in between, but all the while you still have this sense in the back of your head that something's like there's something's happened, some pressure is about everything's boiling up to something, which makes the dull exposition that's the word I'm looking for yeah. makes the exposition even feel uh, impressive or, or you know, exciting. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, when I delved into this book, I, I had a little bit of the same reaction, David. I was like, whole new character set. Mm -hmm. And I felt that way until we hit Duncan. And then Duncan kind of was this anchor. Until he was awoken or till we no, saw him till, as a till even, even when we saw him, he was a character that was familiar enough just because of the name and that kind of – Brought me in. And then I think the girl on Arrakis and her dealing with the worm mm -hmm. was familiar. And so that, those two things really kind of really drew me into the book. They were the storylines that I really looked forward to as he unraveled. But also, I, you know, ironically, one of the other, um, Duncan's guardian, the one that awakens him. Miles. Yeah, he phenomenal character. I love yeah. him. He's one he ends up being one of my favorite characters in this book. So there were a couple things that drew me in. And I think uh it is Dune. And so yeah. you do get the Dune world and the Dune universe and the factions, the Talaxu and the Bene Gesserit 
these are the two big factions that we're really following here. Well, I guess also the uh, scattering people from the scattering that are interested that they're kind of interesting to follow. Yeah. Inner, inner, you know, it's, it's, we have a flip of power here. So, I mean, the sisterhood's always been like a, a power movement in all the books pretty much, but really, I mean, X very backseated, um, Chom barely involved. You barely and, see any reference to Chom. Yeah. And, and yeah, and even the navigators, like we've been, we've had the guild like up in our face and almost like causing problems and almost everything. Yeah. They were like, Oh, well, the guild supported this action or that action. They're mentioned the reference. But, yeah. But there's never like the guild representative shows up or there's no storylines involving a navigator or anything like that. So well, was, go ahead. Wasn't that late, the second's whole idea was to break these holds that, that these different entities had on. Uh, people? Well, I think that was part of it. I mean, you know, the question is, is like the golden path. I mean, okay, I think I think we can. Where? What's our next area? These are the characters, themes? but we can do characters. Well, let's let's jump to themes now, since we're kind of into that. kind of into it. Um, so there's like the whole theme of what has Leto taught the people, and like what was the purpose of his golden path? And it seems throughout the book they keep pointing out that. His golden path had multiple purposes. I mean, there was the purpose of scattering humanity out so that we can't overbreed ourselves and go extinct. Um, and then there's the uh, breaking the rules, the rulerships, like you were saying, the balance and the power and changing that forever. And then the, the religious influence and stuff. It's, it's a very interesting thing. But then it, they also kind of mention how it won't be long before those things come back. I forget who says that, but they're like... With the way things are going, it won't be long before the old Lancerad is back in power. You know, the Golden Path, they they that they continue to touch back on it throughout mm-hmm. the book. And even at the very end, they're questioning because no one's really absolutely certain right. that what they're doing is a part of the Golden Path. But at the end, right as they've taken the worm from Arrakis, and um, I forget which of the ladies is speaking to the worm. Um, kind of looking down on it, using that this may have been the purpose all along was to get the worms off of Arrakis to make Arrakis a non-focal point, right? And to start a desert somewhere else. And so, you know, who's to say that that's not part of the golden path? That's true. I mean, it could be so layered. But I, I think one of my quotes later on, kind of, I think I chose that. It's one of it's one of the ones where they talk about how. How can you understand the golden path when you can never understand Leto's sacrifice? I mean, you can think you understand it, but all, he's lived, he lived for so long and he gave up so much that it's impossible for anyone to really, uh, meet that end, or really understand it. Jim, your thoughts on this? Um, on the golden path. Yes. Well, a survival of humanity. Um, I, I'm not sure about the part though where the get the worms off of Arrakis. Why why would that be something necessarily needs to be done? You know, maybe because it breaks a dependency on spice off of Dune. It it brings Dune it, it makes Dune no longer I mean, Dune from the get go when they first discovered the spice has just been a central hold on the galaxy. Yeah, and you, you you cut the center out of the core worlds in a sense. Well, that theme of now if go ahead now if if uh, the sisterhood has taken the worms to Chapter House to that planet and and planted them there to keep them secret, that would make sense to me. Well, I forget if they want to keep it secret. I know they have it, and they want to take it back mm-hmm. to chapter house um but 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 the spice is is not all that big a deal anymore because it can be produced on thylax it's true that's true but it's it don't they say that it's not as good even though right it can be made and and don't they also um 
insinuate that by destroying Arrakis, they've also destroyed humanity's dependency on the spice. Well, yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's ultimately that's part as part of Leto's plan seems to be. But if you think about the repeated theme of um, rot from the center grows outward, and if you look at Arrakis or Dune was was rot. So in a, in a way, the sisterhood is removing the rot and creating a center somewhere else. Or it w- it had become such a focal point for everything, where the honored maters are coming back, uh, the Thylax want control of it, the Bene Gesserit want control of it, that they needed to break that focal point and cause a maybe a mini scattering or something to keep to to stop the violence and the war from, from brewing again. Yeah. Right. Right. No, I know. I hear you. Yeah. You know what I think it, that amazes me about this whole idea of the golden path is how even tonight, as we're talking about it, we are looking at different facets of it. And it's so multi-layered. And when you think about, and I, I wonder, I'm sure that Frank Herbert did this deliberately. Um, uh, there's no doubt that throughout a lot of Frank Herbert's work, he is, is a co- commentary not only on society and politics, but also on religion. And I think many times when you get into religious texts, you have that multi-layered feel that you read it one way and, oh, it means this at this point in your life. And then you read it years down the road and suddenly you have a different, a new enlightened interpretation of it based on your history. And it's almost like the golden path functions in this way for the people in the world of dune mm-hmm. you know they interpret it one here's the this is the golden path and now uh, 1500 years in the future oh no this is the golden path uh but maybe this might also be part of it and you know who knows how far he's seen with prescience and that's mm-hmm. kind of the uh question they continue to ask yeah. themselves yeah well did but, he know that we were going to do this did we know yeah and they, they're constantly questioning uh and um yeah, I don't I don't have any other things except that I'd say that I like the multi I like that multi-layered approach to the golden path. Okay, so the golden path is to just baffle the crap out of everybody. <laughs> well, um I don't know if it's to uh, I think inadvertently it's it, it it's still keeping humanity on the right path. Because yeah. they continue to quest it it's causing them to question themselves, what they're doing. Uh-huh. It's causing them to Think about what did Leto foresee, and do we do this? How important is this? Um, it's it's in a way it kind of centers them. It's like it's like going to like a, a a prophecy that people kind of go back to years later and then reinterpret it through the eyes of the times that they're living in. Um, yeah. Doesn't make those words any less valued. It just means that somehow they are they're getting a new insight. Yeah, let me actually. I'll pull up. There's a a quote here that that um, goes great for for this. Um, you can keep talking. I'll look it up. All right, you can look it up. But I don't know. I I, I just like that. It does. I agree, Jim. It does baffle the crap out of people. And part of it, but part of that, part of their learning is them trying to figure out and analyze what the golden past means, even though they don't fully understand it. Mm-hmm. And- okay, so then we maybe we're in we're avoiding conflict by redirecting people's thoughts. Uh, everybody's trying to figure this out, and it it kind of takes care of the conflict. It does because it causes them to. It gives them a focal point other than maybe some of their petty the pettiness that goes on. Now, obviously, oh, yeah. in this book, it doesn't solve the conflict because you have the uh, the honor madres and the scattering coming back in, and that obviously brings it um, brings it together. I think. Mm-hmm. I, okay, here's the quote, and I think that although this is talking about religion, it applies to what we're, we're, you were kind of saying about how every time they look at, at uh, every time they look at the golden path, they see it differently. So it causes them to reevaluate things. And in a way, it prevents this problem. Uh, and the quote is, Belief fixes a granular universe and causes the universe to persist. Nothing can be allowed to change because the, the way your non-moving universe, that nothing, 
Nothing can be allowed to change because that way your non-moving universe vanishes. But it moves of itself when you, when you do not. It evolves beyond you and is no longer acceptable to you. Uh, I know I, I'm a horrible reader aloud, but what, <laughs> what the, I take that as saying is that, um, you know, if, if they only believed one thing, that humanity would never grow and move beyond what's around it. So, no, I would, I would hear that. And the fact that they're struggling to interpret the golden path still yeah. is causing them to evolve, transform, and change. I think Dallas had a, had something here in the chat room about that. He says, it doesn't seem like anyone really knows what the golden path entails. They have scripture that Leto gave them, but then they have to interrupt his word, interpret. In, sorry, in, interpret his words. But just like a lot of religious texts, the words can be interpreted in varying, varying ways. So the golden path ultimately begins to mean what specific people want it to mean. That's true. Even when you look at the fish dancers and the priests on oh yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. And does that lessen the value of the text just because people interpret it through their own experiences? <sighs> That's tough. Or does it increase it? Or yeah, does it increase it? It gives. Or does it give it a relevancy to the people because mm-hmm. people are are taking it and making it relevant to their own lives? Hmm. Interesting. You know, if we could, if we could get. And by we, I mean if Roland could get <laughs> a list of all the different outlooks of the golden path that we've seen so far, that would make a good poll. What is, what do you think the golden path stand, like is? And that would, the answer would be depends on which book. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so, uh, Jim, any other thoughts on this before we move on from the, the golden path? No, I, that I'm I'm good. I think we kind of covered views on later too, but let's let's cover and it's written in our our notes here is sex is a tool. Oh yeah, <laughs> Roland has the <laughs> boom. <laughs> uh, sex is a tool, man. Did he ever step up the content here in this book, is, or was it just me? Uh, who thought well, that? I, I, you know, certainly, probably the most graphic scene is the scene with Duncan and the Marbella. Um, yeah, Marbella, in here. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't recall there being a lot of other graph. I mean, there's a lot of references to what they do, and the fact that they teach the girl in Arrakis the whole what it means to be sexual, mm-hmm. um, and you get a lot of references to a lot of discussions about. How many ways can, how many nerve centers are there for a blah, 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 you know, just down through. So I think there's certainly a lot of discussion of it. I didn't feel like it necessarily overpowered the novel. No, 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 no. I'm, it's just so, it just stands out as being so different to me. Yeah. Do we, I mean, we got a hint of this in, in, um, God Emperor. You know, when they, uh, once fish speakers watching Duncan climb the wall and she orgasms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have, you have this sort of graphicness and even the nature of the fish speakers, uh, orgy that they have is kind of there. Mm-hmm. So this is totally removed, but it is certainly removed when you look at Dune, Children of Dune and Dune mm-hmm. Messiah. What do you, what do you think, Jim? I didn't think it was over, over the top, really. Uh, I thought it was appropriate to show that uh, sex was not only being used as a tool, but also as a weapon. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I know I stated that it was it's surprising, but at the same time, it's one of the things that I, I think I enjoy about the book because it's so, oh, man, this is what society, a, a sex society could could become like as, a, as such a big tool. And then you see the honored matrices who just like take it to the next level. They took it to the extreme. Yeah. And don't the, don't the Ben Jesuits have their commentary that this is a fatal flaw in the honor Madres, the fact mm. that he tried to control people via sex alone. Right. Not right. that sex shouldn't be a tool or couldn't be a tool, right. but it can't be the end all be all. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's- well, the focal point of that, the focal point was to try to control Duncan. Well, yeah. And I, I, I thought the entire 
all of the discussion involving sex was aimed in that direction. Seriously. Mm. Now, I can't remember. We don't see a lot of the results of the honored matrix controlling men in this one, do we? We don't get an up-close picture of that, do we? We get we see them trying to control Duncan, and Duncan just flips the tables on her. And yeah, right. Yeah. But but see, also remember, Lucilla Trot was supposed to have taken care of that ahead of time, also. But she never had her chance because Duncan became reawakened before it could happen. Yeah, and that was a intentional from Miles Tay. He was like, "There's no way." Yeah, like he he was intentionally distrustful of. Lucilla. Yeah. And do we ever see why that is at this point? Well, I think then Terraza like warned him of it. Like it, he, Duncan had reached a point where he was beyond where that was a good idea. Mm. I think. Uh, but one, one thing that we're going to see in chapter house is how different their control via sex is. The, the sisterhood imprints, which makes, gives like a motherly or loving, uh, impression where you want to do something for the person that's imprinted on you. And, you know, people like that kind of have a, more of a sway over your actions to the honored matrix that it's, it's like the voice, anything, someone who's enslaved you with it, you'll just, you won't even realize that you're doing what they want you to do before you're doing it. And it's like a drug. You, people look tired and, and their eyes are glazed over and then we haven't really seen that in this yeah yet. so it's it's very different yeah hmm. i tell you what though and maybe this is shifting into characters but miles tag is freaking awesome when he gets that ability <laughs> when he's tortured and he suddenly goes into freaking slow-mo mode oh my gosh i was <laughs> i was picturing he he, he kind of reminds you of like later the second right when he gets that in uh children of dune and it's just you know just ripping through the desert and you just you just like this is freaking awesome and the fact that he can do that not only with his captors but then does it again when he exits the building mm-hmm. that, that he's kind of trapped in one of my favorite parts of the book yeah and um just love the description the detail of that and i like that it has effects on him it's not like he's o- overpowered no like he is an absolutely calorie whore yeah. So. Yeah. What was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, but tell Jim, say say what you 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 said to me about Miles. Uh, yeah, I, I while I was reading the book, I I might have been about a third of the way into it, and I I uh, messaged David and I said, I said Tag reminds me a lot of Gurney. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. And yeah, and Gurney's Gurney's one of my all time favorite characters, and. I mean, Tag came from the same uh, the same mold as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, he was just cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 absolutely, and he does remind. I, I I agree. He reminds you of Gurney. Gurney is kind of this protector, friend uh, to to Paul. That, but also this 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 fierce warrior, and you get that. You you see that especially between him and Duncan that same type of relationship that Journey had I did, I did I did <laughs> it's, it's, it's touching so um, <laughs> now I just had something in my throat but there was but the way they describe that I agree Jim is absolutely the way you're describing it here it does remind you of Gurney yeah and the the loyalty aspect of tag two reminded me a lot of gurney gurney was loyal to the atreides no matter what they did mm-hmm. okay uh tag was loyal to the Bene Gesserit, no matter how evil they are mm-hmm. there was there was just no question of his loyalty the the big difference of course between those two characters though is that tag's a mentat true true yeah and he doesn't play the balisette <laughs> yeah true so. <laughs> and he but but he also he's also less liable to go on emotion than gurney was mm-hmm. well in He'll a way stop and think go ahead he stop tag stops and thinks the situation through before he takes action that is true very true um in a way he's like the perfect mix of gurney and Lado. 
The the Duke Leto. Oh yeah. I mean, I think because oh. I think that he's he's a great a great mix between the two. I mean, he still has that like command yeah. presence that Leto had, but at the same time, he's got Gurney's like, for lack of a better way of saying, Indiana Jones appeal uh, to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, everywhere Tag went, everywhere he went, there were people watching out for him, mm-hmm. and he must he must have been an incredible commander because. All those soldiers that was that were helping him out along the way, mm-hmm. that was just really neat. That whole storyline—that's my favorite storyline out of the whole book. Oh yeah, yeah. it's pretty. It is pretty incredible. I agree. I agree. I really. I, I loved his character. Yeah, for sure. So, well, we still have more of tag. More to of come. tag to come. More of tag to come. More of tag to come. So, yep. next character. Let's talk about Duncan. What do you think? I, 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 once he's awoken, I'm like, I really liked young old Duncan. I don't know why. You know, this is my favorite Duncan in the, um, in the Frank Herbert Dune books. Because, I mean, a, honestly, in, in Dune, you got, he was kind of, he wasn't real developed. He's there and he dies and then they bring him back and he's kind of a Gola, but you really don't get real, comfortable with him um obviously he's a little bit loose in god emperor in that he seems a little bit manic and not real uh and very emotional um but this is the one that you when you get him from the ground up and he's learning and 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 you really begin to get a sense and a feel and a connection to the character in my in my opinion that was the way i interpreted duncan i liked I liked this Duncan. It felt like Duncan to me. I I will agree, and I, I think that it, a lot of it's because he doesn't fight or question his surroundings like every other Duncan. Mentat, Duncan from Hyatt, like, had the guilt of trying to kill Paul and just, like, the Mentat stuff. He was very rigid and all. It just, he wasn't ex- as exciting. Then the Gola, the Gola version in, in, uh, God Emperor, every time we saw him, he was always anti the world that he was in. Like, he, he couldn't accept it. And right. it was a struggle. And this Duncan accepts the world that he's in, see, you know, understands the patterns, and is just like, let's move forward, like, with whatever's happening here. Jim, thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. The, I agree that this, this was the best Duncan of them all since, uh, since Dune itself. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, because he didn't have an Atreides oppressing him, <laughs> you know? Well, okay. technically. <laughs> well, no, he, he was, he was thinking for himself. Oh yeah. In this book. Uh, you know, he, even before he was awakened, he was thinking and thinking and thinking. And, you know, he was weighing the answers. And then after he became awakened, uh, watch out. He, he was a force to be reckoned with. You know, the, the, other, the other part of that is uh, when he's uh, doing his deed with, um, who's the girl again? Marbella. Marbella, I can't remember her name. Um, but with Marbella, like, it reawakens absolutely, he remembers every single Duncan. Yeah. Not just from when he died. But every, every single Duncan that is between him and this Duncan, between the first and this yeah. last Duncan, and whoa, what a what a mind, what a mind crap that had to be. Yeah, yeah. This is the part where I, we've been talking, and I've been like, well, maybe we don't know who the real Quizak Haderach is, and um, that's because to me, Duncan is is the most pure. Was that cataract? Because he's lived so many lives. But then I thought, rereading this, I was like, well, the Talaxi were kind of doing the same thing. So, yeah, I guess that that's a debate that we need to have down the road when we're close to the end of the series. Yeah. Who is, in our opinion, the real Quizas Hatterock? Because I think the answer is depends. Yeah, I mean, there's really it depends. Maybe there on, was maybe there was three of them. Yeah, maybe yeah, or four or five. Yeah. However, we're going to view it. But I think that there is the potential for there to be more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a certainly a good 
good thought. We need we need to talk yeah. about that eventually. Yeah. Well, let's keep moving here. Let's talk about uh, instead of individually, let's talk about the sisterhood. Lucilla, uh, Audre, or however you say her name, Teraza. Like, what were what were your thoughts on the sisterhood here? Were any of you thrown off by them being not only the focal port point, but almost the good guys in the story? In the story, <coughs> Jim. <laughs> yeah, bump Jim. <laughs> no, I I wasn't thrown off at all. Uh, I think what we were getting here is a little bit closer look inside of the inner workings of the sisterhood uh, rather than standing outside and looking in like we have been before. Mm -hmm. Okay. We see that they are a political organization um, that they do interact politically and they have ambitions and, and hopes and dreams also. So I, I, think that uh, that didn't throw me off at all. It kind of enlightened me a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's not a, I mean, we, we, we get the title of the book from the sisterhood and the fact that there's each, some of the sisters have done very heretical acts, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't followed what the sisterhood has decreed. This is not new. I mean, Jessica did it. Uh, the chick that married Romber did it. Uh, Tosiah. Tosiah did it. Um, and so this is not, this is the, the fact that there are heretical factions are not new, but you, you get a deeper insight into kind of the fracturing of the sisterhood. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. There weren't as, the, the fractions weren't as profound. Right. In the old sisterhood. Um, she makes it. There's a, there's a comment there uh, that they make the fact that there are a lot of them that are um, there's a lot of people that have differences and they're split. But when push comes to shove and the rubber meets the road, a sister's always a sister. It's kind of that mentality. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was kind of unique because it explains Jessica a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, with the sisterhood, I feel like. <laughs> what Frank Herbert was trying to do with with uh, Lucilla and and Duncan, I feel like he um, imprinted the sisterhood over all these books to me. That like I I feel like I know them. I feel like I want to root for them, you know, because they haven't really succeeded in a whole lot. And now, like just just that having them as the focal point, I felt really at home in that seat. Just kind of like okay. Like I'm down. Like I understand the sisterhood. Like I'm I'm down with them being this, even though I know not everything they do is 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 the right thing. It's still like I'm okay with being behind that. So, how about yeah. Wa how about Waif? Let's let's move on to Waif. Talaxu. Yeah, the Talaxu. The leader of the Talaxu. You know, I just don't remember the Talaxu coming across as being so dang religious. Well, I think that was the big reveal in this book. The fact that they are connected to Arrakis because of the, um, can't remember, but the, uh, what was the religion in Arrakis? The Sensuni. The Sensuni. Sensuni, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Jim? I think, uh, I think that group has way too much power. They're really scary, and you don't know what they're going to do. They're very secretive. They're sneaky. Uh, I mean, just the nature of having face dancers is 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 enough to it scares me. Because you know you don't know you don't know who you can trust. You don't know anything. You just you know at least the common people can. I know the Bene Gesserit they can spot a face dancer a hundred miles away. But, yeah, I, I don't trust that group. Do you know what was cool about that whole face dancer thing? Is that at one point, the face dancers don't even realize they're Talaxu. Oh, they, they, they're, they're, they're so ingrained that they no longer listen to Wave. Like they, so they created something that suddenly is out of their control. Because right. they made like the ultimate face dancer. Yeah, it totally takes over the personality. Yeah, the, the ultimate replicant. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting to to see how 
And we had a glimpse into the Tlaxu earlier, uh, but to see how they've changed um, in the fact that there's so many more face dancers as their population is mostly face dancer. And you don't see like the little men as much. And then we learn hints that the little men are just reincarnated of themselves constantly. So the idea that these people never, I mean, there's new ones, but at the same time, there's the, the old people are just, they're always there. Like the old leaders are always in control. That was interesting. So it's not, yeah, not unlike Duncan continuing to come back. Right. You know, right. Which obviously is lacks of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Axolotl tanks. Mm-hmm. We uh, obviously, if we would not have read the prequels, this would have been the big reveal. Yeah. As to what they actually are. But the, re- the revelation for these people, for the sisterhood at realizing what they are, is huge. Mm-hmm. This this was my biggest problem, and we talked about this before with the prequels. Spoil the spoiling of this reveal had so much like what when I first you know the first time you read it because up until this point they talked about the, the axolotl tanks and you picture a tank right because they yeah. call them axolotl tanks yeah yeah. It's it's so different. I don't know. It's gross. But they 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 when they reveal it, I mean, and then on top of it, not only do they reveal it, but when Duncan has his moment, he remembers exiting the axolotl tank, mm-hmm. and they describe that as well, which is kind of gross and bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't. I you know I wouldn't say having that reveal spoiled didn't lessen. In some ways, didn't lessen the impact for me. Okay, it, it it lessened the surprise, but the impact of them understanding this and what that meant, what that information meant for that society was crucial because everyone that knew that was dead. They kind right. of kept a secret. Yeah, I think I think you're right. This it's it's a different kind of reveal. Um, it's also more graphic, I guess. In, in what you're learning. Um, I know the first time this happened, uh, Jim, you were really grossed out. How did you feel this time around? I, I'll tell you what. It, it's so demeaning and dehumanizing. And it, it, it thoroughly disgusts me, which it probably is supposed to. Yeah. Which is probably another reason I don't like the Thylax. Because <laughs> they... The, the the way they treat women is just it's appalling. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. It makes the it makes the fact that the uh um sisterhood has agreed to like send some of their people to them mm-hmm. all the more horrible. Horrible. Yeah. 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 If that agreement still stands. Well, I don't really remember. <laughs> If, yeah. it, if, it, if it goes through or not. Yeah. But that's at least the intended. Yeah. But it makes the thought of it even more horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we have one last thing to talk about. And I don't know if we even need to all that much. We kind of covered it. But just, uh, well, we have Selena. Yes. Uh, so we have two. So, But before Selena, do we want to talk about the Honored Matrix? Do we have much to add other than the sex thing? I think we covered that a little bit. No. I mean, yeah. the, the scene that sticks out with me and them is the is it when Waif actually meets with them in a no in a no shield somewhere, which you haven't talked about that at all. We do should talk about that. Oh yeah. But they meet with them somewhere and then they like kill kill the them and they they, repl- they, they replace, replace them, them and send them out and then they realize that there's no way they're gonna get information back because no one knows like they never they never plan on going back when they learn stuff. Um so we, we get that, and we get the fact, and other than that, the real sense that we get from them is that they continue to like invade, like they invade the sisterhood mm-hmm. center hole. They come into Arrakis and invade that. Um, so you see them kind of as being invaders, which is really yeah. kind of how they're presented. But they're also running from something. Do they reveal that? Do we do we know that they're running from something, Jim? Well, they are 
running home from the scattering. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. They, yeah. Hasn't been revealed yet. Way to spoil it, David. Spoiler alert. Spoil it. <laughs> no. So, the running from something, David. What? <laughs> Where did you hear that? You. Dallas obviously. in the chat room. Come on. Yeah, blame Dallas. <laughs> yeah, he's not here to defend himself. So. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, la- last character to really cover, uh, Selena. Yeah, I like her. Jim? <laughs> my my vision of her was the first time she stood there chewing out the sandworm. <laughs> I could just see this little girl standing in front of this huge worm with her finger wagging, wiggling her finger at her. You bad worm. You bad, bad, bad worm. Now you go to your room and you don't get no dinner. <laughs> For those of you that don't like participate in live <laughs> chat, you're missing Jim like shaking his hand at the screen as he's talking. It's quite quite humorous. <laughs> no, this point just standing there pointing at this huge worm and chewing them out. It just it it just cracked me up when I read that. It, it, it's hilarious, but it's such it, when you think of a young kid who's just doesn't understand. First of all, doesn't understand. Well, I think has an understanding of the power of the worm, but really doesn't give a crap about it. I, I just love yeah. this attitude that we get. The yeah. attitude that she yeah. carries and. It's innocent, it's kid like, but it adds the little it adds a little bit of humor to it. Mm-hmm. It's also aristocratic. Oh yeah. She absolutely does not mind all the being raised up on a pedestal. She's oh, yeah. really enjoying that. Oh, and she enjoys <laughs> being able to control. She's at the perfect yeah. age yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> she loves being able to control. Yeah. So I, I like her. I, I felt like for part of the book, I was like, come on, like, give me something, some reason to really care about her other than to just be like, oh, it's cool. And I felt like it took a while to yeah. kind of get to that point. But yeah, uh, I liked her more at the beginning than the end. I think at the end, she's becomes much more manip- manipulative and much more intentional. And there was something innocent about her just being herself without right. any intervention at all. Right, right. Well, have have we really arrived at her purpose yet? Did I don't we think arrive so. At a pur- I don't. Th- is is that's what is that's what is coming up in the next book? Well, I mean, it, it depends on what. I mean, was her purpose to get the the worm on the no ship? Was that her purpose? I don't know to guide the worm. Well. It really depends on whose point of view it is, because her and Duncan are supposed to get it together. Oh, yeah. For some reason. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jim. Were you talking? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. You know, we have a... Or was it the worm's worm's purpose to get her on the ship? Blowing my mind over here. Okay. Anyways, go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. Well, I seem I seem to remember that someone was afraid that they were going to create a new Quisatara with her and with her. Yes. And if and my impression was is that Duncan might have been the catalyst for that if they weren't careful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out, won't we? I Chapter guess we will. House. Chapter, Chapter House Doom. Um, so uh, we got to talk about the no, the no shields, no ships. I mean, these, we, we had hints of them in one of the prequel books, and they were kind of out of nowhere, they come again. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe with some hints in God Emperor, but here the world is run by no ships, uh-huh. no shields. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. a different world. It is avoiding prescient thought. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. You you can take this one first. Any thoughts? Well, it's it just does away with the spice and a lot of the mysticism. Um, however, it seems to be coming into another 
stage where they're making machines more and more important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of scary because this whole thing got started because of machines. Right. Don't they have machines actually now doing a lot of the navigations and the navigators are kind of like, we're just here to make sure nothing goes wrong type of facility. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the spice isn't near as important. Commerce is commerce is completely broken down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Perhaps this know, is why it, we don't. Does, does Chone play a bigger part in the next book? I don't remember. So I mean, uh, perhaps this is why we get the minimalist the the fact that Chome has been kind of mim- uh, minimized. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Jim. I just thought of it. Well, and you know, who is in control of space travel now? Is anybody really in control of it? Well, I mean, technically because the guild, but barely the guild and X. Right, and so without without the spice thing going on, there's nothing to hold them together. I don't think we're going to see Chome come back because there's really no importance as far as the other great houses are concerned anymore. Right. Right. I agree. I I don't remember if they come back, but I feel like probably not because chapter house takes place like almost immediately after uh, heretics. So there wouldn't really be much time unless, unless they come back in the, uh, no, I'm pretty sure that sandworms and hunters are pretty much pretty close together and like within one lifetime of everything. So, yeah, we don't have we don't have Carinos. Uh, the Atreides don't have have the power they had before. There are no Harkonnens. Um, there's no prescience. Well, there is, it's, but the big the big thing is that the Atreides can't be seen by the prescient people anymore. So you've got the uh-huh. no ships, and then you have the no people, right? That kind of make it hard to actually use prescience anymore. Yeah. Ah. So. And the Atreides are there. Yeah, but there's so there's so many of them. Right. They're not. It's not like it's like a nothing anymore. Right. So. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, Jim, you want to take us into quotes? Sure. Uh, we have uh, some, a couple of us have some quotes. I don't know if you have any or not, Scott. You didn't type any in. I did. I'll go last so I don't uh, uh, take anyone else's. <laughs> you go first, Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, then, um, where did I type them? Oh, there they are. I had two. Uh, memory never recaptures reality. Memory reconstructs. All reconstructions change the original, becoming external frames of reference that inevitably fall short. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Which which says to me that you can't trust memory. Yeah, especially when you've got these characters full to the brim of memory. Yeah. Uh, the other one I found is seems to be a parable of some kind. There was a man who sat each day looking out through a narrow vertical opening where a signal board had been removed from a fence. Each day, a wild ass of the desert passed outside the fence and across the narrow opening. First the nose, then the head, the forelegs, the long brown back, the hind legs, and lastly the tail. One day the man leaped to his feet with the light of discovery in his eyes and he shouted for all who could hear him, it is obvious. The nose causes the tail. <laughs> Great quote. Great quote. What do you yeah. what do you think the parable's trying to teach there? Uh well, that you gotta be careful if you don't see the whole picture. Yeah. Uh right away. I mean this is this is a premise in music that we have. You know, it it's you you look at if you looked at a picture the same way that you heard music, it would unfold as time goes on, as things go by, and you you don't see the entire thing like you would stand back and see a photograph. Well, this is kind so, of the, this is kind of the parable of the golden path too. Yeah, that we were talking about, and Jim's opening lecture for lute lessons. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Any. Anyway, you know, there's a lot in between the nose and the tail, and and to extrapolate that one that 
the nose causes the tail is, is of course, ridiculous. And it just shows how short-sighted this guy was. Yeah, yeah. By not poking his head through and looking at the whole picture. <laughs> right. Do you have any others, Jim? Uh, no, those were the two that I have. What do you got, David? Okay, I've got three. The first is the surest way to keep a secret is to make someone think they already know the answer. Perfect example, the Tolaxu tank, uh, axolotl tanks. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, secondly, the trouble with some kinds of warfare, and be certain the tyrant knew this because it's implicit in his lesson, is that they destroy all mor- moral decency in, sus- in susceptible types. Warfare of these kinds will dump the destroy- destroyed survivors back into an innocent population that is in- incapable of even imagining such returned soldiers, m- even imagining what such returned soldiers might do. If, if any quote showed the Vietnam War, it was this. It was this. Yeah. I mean, was mm. the time the timing was right for that? Right when he wrote this, yeah, it would have been. Well, it would have been, been passed. Yeah. yeah, so probably still relevant in the news and stuff at that point in time. And thirdly, histori- historians exercise great power, and some of them know it. They recite the past, changing it to fit their own interpretations. Thus, they change the future as well. Uh, Leto said that uh, in his voice from Dara's ballot. Uh, if, I mean, that, that seems like the main story in all the Dune books is control of the history, control of the future. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Those are my three. All right. Uh, so, one of mine is bureaucracy destroys initiative. There is little that bureaucrats hate more than innovation, especially innovation that produces better results than the old routines. Improvements always make those at the top of the heap look inept. Who enjoys looking inept? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought that that was a interesting quote and true, mm-hmm. that change. But again, this idea of change and wanting to hold on to the past. So also like this one of technology, technology tends toward, oh, by the way, and this made me think of prescience. Okay. So prescience is a very non-technological idea, mm-hmm. right? But in a lot of ways, there's parallels. And so this quote really stuck out to me. Technology tends toward the avoidance of risks by investors. Uncertainty is ruled out if possible. People generally prefer the predictable. Few recognize how destructive this can be, how it imposes severe limits on variability, and thus makes a whole populations fatally vulnerable to the shocking ways our universe can throw the dice. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the predictability of the machines, you think about X, and you think about prescience, and this quote has so many ramifications to it. Hmm. Some yeah. good quotes there. Yeah. And I think that's probably good. Yeah. I mean, I'm tired of listening to you, so. It's a- <laughs> you, are the, you are a jerk. <laughs> yes. I love you, David. You're a jerk. <laughs> All right. Let's give, let's give this our, our final thoughts here. Uh, let's go first. Uh, our predictions for Chapter House Dune. Scott, let's start with you. They're going to terraform Dune. I mean, the planet or even Chapter House? They'll be doing Chapter House, definitely, but they're going to go, they're going to go back to the burnt husk that is Dune. Okay. All right. They've done it before with Seleucus Secundus. Yeah. They never went back to Earth, though. Well, not yet. Oh. Not that I've read on. I'm just (laughs) saying. You never know. Okay, Jim, what are you expecting to see in Chapter House Dune? I am expecting uh, to see a big struggle between the Bene Gesserit and the Lilacs for power and for control, and perhaps the downfall of the Bene Gesserit at this point, or... Uh, maybe Duncan and Sienna getting together and creating the Kwisatz Haderach and starting this whole cycle all over again. Yeah. So what you're looking for is some more bench. Going, wow, wow. 
yeah. Bring it home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A whole new Dune Saga podcast, After Dark. After Dark. <laughs> How about you? I am I am looking forward to seeing more about the honor Dimitris and and learning more about the scattering. I hope we I hope we learn more of that. Uh, while also figuring out how the Talaxu, the Bene Gesserit, and the honor Dimitris are all going to collide together, and and you know what the result of that explosion of tension is going to cause. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, Chapter House of Dune and Heretics of Dune. I read them both really quickly, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And so they blend together in my mind. So these two books of all of the books are probably, oh, except for the ones I haven't read, are probably the ones that I was most excited to read to remember stuff uh, as it was happening. So I am excited about one other thing, and that is I want to see Miles Tag in action. Oh, yeah. I need some more Miles Tag action. Who doesn't? <laughs> I do. Who doesn't? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about ratings for Heretics of Doom. I'll start. I want to give this book a solid three. I know it's low, but the reason I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a three is because even though I enjoyed it, the beginning quarter of the book was so jarring to me that it really. I was almost telling myself that I should enjoy the book for the first quarter of the book before I actually started to enjoy it. Jim? I'm going to give it a 4.75 okay. because because of the way it was balanced and I enjoyed it start to finish and didn't feel real confused all the way through it. Okay. Scott, I am going to give this. I'm going to be with Jim in this one because I am really, I'm really close to giving this one a five. Whoa! It was a really good read. I really enjoyed it. Like I found myself again, and I've shared this before. You know, I listen to these books on audio, and so I find myself when I'm listening to them not wanting to shut off my audio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a sign that a book has really captured me, and it's not a slog fest through it. Uh, the beginning was jarring. There's no doubt about it. But the overall storyline and my interest to see what happens to the characters next has me uh, pretty fascinated. Really? It's definitely a high rating for me. I'm really? gonna I'm gonna be with Jim in this. I'm not gonna give it a four point seven five, but I will give it a four point five, a high rating for okay. me because right. I because I really do like this. I I like I stand by that. I I, I did very much enjoy the story, uh, and it's 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 fun. But this may have been the most difficult book so far for me to pick up and read. Not, and I enjoyed while reading it, but it was the most, it was the most difficult one for me to get motivated to read. Now, I don't know if that's because I expected to sit down and read for a long period of time and I was just kind of putting that off or what, but this was the hardest one for me to get into that way. So I don't know. I think Doom Messiah was that for me. Yeah. Jim, was this? Yeah, I'd seen you. Go ahead. Children of Dune was the Children was of Dune was the one I dreaded. Oh yeah, you hated yeah. Children of Dune. Yeah, that mm. you loathed that number. Well, 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 what was worse, Children of Dune or Winds of Dune? Because you didn't like Winds of Dune, right? I, it was you and Roland who gave that a ten out of ten to ten or fifteen out of ten. Was it because you liked it so much? <laughs> I I. Well, I'm trying to remember. I I thought I thought I liked it uh Winds of Dune better than you guys did. Hmm. Maybe I'm confused. Maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking Paul. I uh you know, I think the thing with the uh the two intermittent books between the books, the Winds and what was the other one? Paul. So Paul and Winds. Um the thing that I struggled with was a split storyline, the future back storyline yeah. that they did. But the storylines themselves, I enjoyed. It was just the fact that he bounced back and forth. Now they told him more than anything. But well, yeah, I didn't mind that. But Children of Dune was just really confusing. Ah, see, I like Children of Dune. But so Roland says, "Children's of Dune, hand da- hands down." So you you liked Children better or less than Winds? To clarify, are better or worse than Heretics? Uh, yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> elaborate, Roland. Elaborate. Yeah. So, elaborate. Well, we'll get his thoughts in no, a moment. See, it was, what was that? It was Winds of Doom that Roland loved so much. He gave it a twenty-five out of six. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. It was Winds of Doom that Roland loved. Okay, Jim. Get, Jim gave Winds three point five out of five. Oh, he's looking at that chart. He he's created. got a nice chart. Yeah, that he keeps <laughs> that he keeps going. Well, okay. Let's let's go ahead and and, and wrap up here. Uh, remember, if you want to give us your thoughts, because we do a listener feedback show, um, and it, it it comes out about a week and a half out of uh, after this usually does. And um, if you want to be a part of that show, you can email us at doonsagapodcast at gmail dot com. You can leave us comments on Facebook at facebook dot com slash doonsagapodcast or Twitter at at Dune Saga Podcast. And we also have a call-in line where you can call and leave a voicemail. And to get access to that, you call what number? 1-260-577-2428. That's 1-260-577-2428. But uh, quite frankly, if you have access to audio, just record an MP3 and email it to us. It's just as easy. Just as easy. Just as easy to yeah. do that. So. Yeah. And Facebook, obviously, is the other place. Did you mention that? I did. Okay, I Facebook. did. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to all the new Patreon supporters Absolutely. That, that we had uh, come on here, especially since if you don't watch us live or catch the YouTube feed, uh, it's been a while since the actual audio podcast has come out for us, but that should be changing by the time you hear this. Um, so I want to thank you a lot for supporting us and being part of our Siege. Uh, just to be clear, for those who aren't aware of what Patreon is, it's a, it's a way for you to kind of help support us. Um and the way that it works is if we put out a show, it's a, a monthly subscription. You say, I want to give a dollar for every month that they produce content. Then uh, that's that's a great way to help us out and keep us going. Now, the flip side of that, for those of us, like I mentioned, it's been, it's been uh, a month since we put something out. Um, there would be no, there would be no uh, donations during that. So month. if we don't produce... You don't get charged. Right, exactly, which is a way to both keep us motivated and, you know, to make sure that everyone is uh, fair and simple there. So, Absolutely. There we go. All I right. think that about wraps us up. What do you think? Jim, any other thoughts? No, I'm good. Great. He's thoughtless. <laughs> no respect. No respect at all. Respect your elders, <laughs> Respect Shaitan. That's right, Shaitan. Respect Shaitan. <laughs> Well, once again for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Hulu clear the path before you. Mm-hmm.